0: G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey and I'm joined by my dad clinical psychologist Chris Mackey and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day dad, how are you doing today? Good thanks Rowan, good to be with you as always. Yeah absolutely, now for today's episode... We've called it fighting the flat feeling. So I don't know about many other people out there, but I know for myself personally in recent times, kind of seeing the, the COVID numbers rise again, being back in lockdown again, there's just been some days where I've just had a a kind of general flat feeling and I wouldn't necessarily say it's sort of been to do with depression or anything like that because you can simultaneously be grateful for many things at the same time but I don't know about you dad but I'm just picking up maybe a general sort of malaise a little bit at the moment with people.
1: Yes, look, that's a good way of describing it, a flat feeling, a general malaise. We've certainly noticed that in Geelong, even though we've not been in lockdown as you have been in Melbourne, like just an hour away, but we've noticed that in a whole range of ways, well, first of all, uh, myself, family, friends, you can see the disappointment there is when it looked like we were going so well with the COVID numbers and then you get more outbreaks, particularly in Victoria. But we also notice that with clients that we're seeing in the practice who might be dealing with whatever earlier problems that they were looking to address, but there's just that extra kind of veil of stress, that extra layer of stress added to it that sometimes people underestimate how this extra community disappointment can make any other difficulty, such as an anxiety problem or problem related to depression or some other kind of difficulty, it tends to add another edge to the difficulty that people are going through. So we're reminding a number of clients, as we're reminding ourselves too, to cut ourselves a bit of slack at the moment because it is just generally more difficult managing with everyday life.
0: Well, I think there's a bit of a feeling of resignation in some ways, recognising that there's still a way to go in responding to how we're going to get through this virus. And in that situation, when you are feeling sort of resigned to things, it's almost like I feel that we're, we're given a bit of a choice in some ways. Do we kind of sit with that feeling of resignation and almost let it be consolidated further within us? Or do we look and see whether there are some things that we can do about it? So I suppose today's episode is looking at maybe psychology and whether there's some things in psychology that can help us fight that flat feeling. Yes, I think there
1: are. And it does generally relate to that balance between if we're facing extra stresses, to what extent do we take a bit of pressure off ourselves, show ourselves a bit more self-compassion, not expect ourselves to be quite as on top of things or managing quite as well as we might often expect but also how do we not give in to despondency how do we not give in to a lower mood or how do we not give in to acting less effectively because there are things that we need to
0: do and focus on to help to beat this virus as a community as well and I think certainly in Victoria anyway, one of the things that potentially makes it a little bit harder is looking at and seeing how other states have responded and how things have gone a little bit better in other states. There is almost like that kind of FOMO feeling in some ways. I suppose you can also look and see our other countries and how they're responding and as I said before, sort of feel grateful at the same time, but... Do you think psychologically there is something that is a little bit harder when you see, for example, other states compared to Victoria doing a little bit better?
1: Yes, I certainly think so. And it's to do with our expectations and it's to do with what we compare with. For example, just say if we take income or people's financial status, people's happiness doesn't depend quite so much objectively on their financial status, but who we compare with. If we compare with people who are a lot financially better off than ourselves, then we might feel a bit disappointed or unhappy. Whereas if we compare with people who are destitute and massively struggling, then we've got reason to feel grateful. But certainly if we compare with other states, then we can see people have a lot more freedom again, not have quite the same level of worry. But by the same token, it's important that other states don't become complacent either. But if we compare ourselves to other countries, not just Australia, but Victoria as well, we can actually feel that we've done very well with that first wave, And, well, it's yet to be seen, really, how we deal with this second wave. Certainly there's a lot of concern at the moment, but it's going to make a big difference what happens in the next few weeks, the next couple of months. So I think that's one of the main kind of things, focusing on what we can do and not just getting hung up on comparing to an ideal that we haven't been able to reach at this point.
0: Well, it's interesting, that idea of complacency, because I wonder to what degree there's an element within sort of human nature where the finish line makes a bit of a difference to how we respond to things. And I think, for example, of say marathon runners or triathletes who, they almost have that experience of kind of collapsing as soon as they get over the line. And it almost felt a little bit like in Victoria, and I imagine potentially in other states as well, that... We were getting a lot closer to the finish line and we were seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But now when that's not there as much, it potentially makes things a little bit harder. Yes, that's
1: to do with expectations as well. When we think that we're there and then we can relax, then it's very hard to muster up the motivation again. And I suppose that relates to the principle that motivation is a finite resource. It actually takes energy, to be motivated and to remain motivated so when after that first wave there was so much progress in Victoria as well as elsewhere in Australia there was this feeling that we'd done the hard yard so to speak and maybe could relax a little bit more well that does make it harder when we had that kind of expectation to then muster up the motivation anew and to manage with lockdown in Melbourne and the adjustments and restrictions that there are in other parts of Victorian Australia as well.
0: And I think that note about motivation being a finite resource is important to keep in mind because it can help us cut ourselves some slack in some ways because if we just break down our day at the moment there's so many points throughout the day when there are demands on our motivation. For example, it's how deep do you get into the news that day sort of thing. So there can be a whole range of things that take away some of our motivation at different points throughout the day that wouldn't be there without COVID going on.
1: Yes, and look... In some ways, that reminds me of what we talked about in our first one or two podcasts, you know, going back when we talked about that initial adjustment to lockdown, for example, and we talked about what kind of strategies that we could use to help bolster our mood, and we talked in those early episodes about the importance of having some kind of routine, about engaging in physical exercise, but also having things that engage us in difficult times, such as drawing on our character strengths, finding things that can draw our attention, looking to help bring out the best in us in different ways even whilst restricted so I think that some of those topics that we covered in the early podcasts are going to be relevant to this stage now as well.
0: I think they really are going to be relevant and particularly on the days when for example we're not feeling as sort of down about things because I think one thing that's potentially different between this period of lockdown and the previous period is that there's less of a novelty factor For example, I've mentioned a little bit before on the podcast, which I'm still working away on, by the way, uh, my jigsaw that I've got going on at the moment. And, you know, I I was one of those people who got out the sourdough kit in the first period of lockdown, but there's not necessarily as much of the interest to do that this time, partly through fatigue and many other things. And that's where I think it's going to be a good opportunity today to look to psychology for periods when it isn't so readily available because of things like the novelty factor.
1: Yes, and so with that, I imagine that when we do look back at that first lockdown period... A couple of things that we can have in mind is, at least remember some of the things that did go relatively well then. There's that positive psychology principle of what went well. If we notice some things that went even slightly better than we thought that they might, for example, we still could get outside and engage in physical exercise and get some fresh air, even if we're quite restricted. There might have been some routines that we adjusted in our homes to help adapt to that lesser restriction that we had, we might have found that we did enjoy maybe reading a little bit more or some of the kind of hobbies or trying out different kinds of cooking or things like that there'll be some things that we would have learned then that we can draw back on but I think we need to have some tweaks too don't we as you said that first time had that novelty factor that's not there so much now you can get that lockdown fatigue more readily so to speak without that novelty factor so maybe we need some extra tweaks this stage as well
0: and I imagine some of those tweaks are going to come from general psychological principles. There's lots that can be learned and gained from positive psychology, but I know for me personally, you're not necessarily feeling as ready to engage in that side of things when you are feeling a bit, say, more despondent and flat. So is there anything in, say, general psychology that we can look to to help us in this situation?
1: Look I think there is and one of the things that strikes me when we think of this second wave in Victoria it reminds me of there's a parallel in some way to a client who's gone fairly well in addressing a problem and then had a lapse or a relapse. So just say a client's been progressing very well with their depression Or post traumatic stress, or maybe they've been getting on top of panic attacks or making real progress with an addiction. And then what can happen is people can have a lapse or feel that they've really slipped up or feel like they're going backwards. And that can be really difficult to handle. And so we have a model in psychology called a relapse prevention model. And part of this relapse prevention model is sure, in the first instance, you try not to have a lapse or a relapse in the first place. But sometimes that's not realistic. If people are dealing with long-term depression or trauma reactions or they've had panic attacks for years, it can be unrealistic to expect to completely eliminate that problem straight off. It doesn't matter how well people are working on things, there might be disappointments that happen, there's extra stress that happens, something unexpected out of the blue, and then people can really feel like they've slipped up in some way and often people then think, And say when they come into a session, oh, I've gone right back to the start and feel really despondent and think all my effort so far has been wasted. But it never has been because people have learnt things from their earlier experience. And also after lapses, often people can regroup from that and make further progress, maybe making some other tweaks. But generally, I think the relapse prevention model from psychology is very helpful First of all, in looking to prevent more severe relapses, but also in recovering from lapses and relapses rather than just getting stuck in despondency. Yeah, I think that
0: relates to the second wave in some ways. And it's interesting talking about that relapse prevention model because I think it can relate to lapses in a couple of different ways like if we talk about lapse for example being a lapse in mood and our ability to continually be effervescent day after day we can talk about a lapse if for example we might have been drinking a little bit more during the first period of lockdown and then when some of the restrictions eased maybe we weren't drinking as much now we might find ourselves drinking again so i think we can look at a lapse in terms of a behavior A mood, there can be a couple of things I think that can relate to what we're going through at the moment. Yes, so a lapse is to do with any time we feel we've slipped up in a
1: significant kind of way. And as you say, it could be about a mood or a behaviour, but particularly when we look at, say, mental health problems, or if we look at the wider issue in public health of managing with the threat of COVID a lot of dealing with lapses and a lot about promoting good health at an individual level and a community level is about engaging in certain kind of behaviors it's the health promoting behaviors what can we do and keep on doing which is likely to promote our well-being and make it less likely that we'll fall into the worst and the most severe kind of traps so it's about helping our behavior stay
0: on track Well, I think there can be a little bit of a trap of falling into in terms of it can be quite hard to even recognise the progression throughout this year that everyone and even the world's gone through, for example, even the way that we refer to twenty twenty. It's as if it's kind of this kind of static one thing, even though we're it's continually changing and we're right in the middle of it. So I think there can be a little bit of a trap to for example, look backwards and go, you know, how many months have we had of lockdown? Potentially group those months together because like I know for me, for example, spending a lot of time at home, you feel like you're in a similar sort of headspace. But if I really break it down and look at sort of different points throughout this year, well I can group lockdown together, but actually there has been quite a lot of change throughout this year.
1: Yes, and I suppose in some ways it is worth looking back and taking a bit of stock about how things have gone compared to how it seemed they might have gone from March. As much as we've faced a whole lot of hardship... I think one thing, at least we can look back and remember the television coverage and reports we saw from New York and Italy and Spain, many different countries where we saw the carnage that was happening there from COVID, and certainly some of the worst that I feared and many people feared has not come to pass to this point. So it's worth putting that in perspective. And another thing that strikes me is a number of months ago, we were dealing with massive uncertainty. For example, even at a work level, we didn't know that our psychology practice was going to be able to still offer therapy in any effective way. But with telehealth, we've been able to continue on. And many other industries, say the hospitality industry, has been able to continue maybe a little bit more than we might have feared a number of months ago, but also to at least some degree, there's maybe less uncertainty than a number of months ago. It was completely Knew the challenge to us then, and we had no idea how we'd adapt. But we know something about how we have been able to adapt to periods of lockdown, homeschooling, just dramatic shifts in terms of our routines. And broadly speaking, across Australia, people have done pretty well with those things. So I think that certainly it's been a shocker of a year and most of us are just waiting for 2021 to roll on. But if we think of the worst that could have happened, in some ways there are at least some encouraging signs there.
0: Well, it's interesting as you're talking there because I suppose one thing that I'm picking up really about this subject is that it seems that your attitude towards things can make such a difference. For example, like the way that you're talking like, I wouldn't necessarily have had so many sort of positive examples at the ready, even though now that I kind of sit here and think about it, they're obviously there, sort of thing. So, I wonder what influences our individual response to some of these things?
1: Well, I think one of the most basic things is our attitude in relation to optimism compared with pessimism. And this came out of the work of Martin Seligman, the founder of Positive Psychology. Before coming up with Positive Psychology, he had an approach called learned optimism because he'd done research in all sorts of areas in terms of recovery from serious illnesses, people's achievement in sport, people's achievement in education in other areas. He demonstrated across a wide range of areas that if we have a more optimistic attitude... We do better in the face of opportunity and adversity than if we have a pessimistic attitude. And basically it goes like this. An optimistic attitude means that if something bad happens, like this pandemic, then we don't blame ourselves for it. We don't hold ourselves accountable for it, so to speak, for it happening. But we do see ways we can make a difference. We do see how we can influence our recovery or our progress in some way. So an optimist does not blame themselves for bad things that happen but does see themselves as responsible and capable of making a difference going forward. The expectation of improvement and confidence that can happen. By contrast a pessimist will either tend to blame themselves a bit for things going wrong but beyond that won't see themselves as being in such a position to influence it and that defeatist attitude leads people to fare much worse in health generally, including recovering from illness, in sporting and academic and work achievements. It makes a big difference, our attitude and outlook, and especially to look at what we can do to improve things and believing we can make that difference.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting sort of having that explained like that. Obviously, optimism and pessimism, two kind of words you hear quite regularly, but you don't necessarily hear it kind of broken down like that. And it's quite interesting because as you were describing that, it's almost like I feel anyway, maybe this is a bit of a reflection on sort of where I'm at in some ways, but there is a little bit drawing us towards a pessimistic attitude in terms of we're kind of, you know, faced with rising numbers and on an individual level, of course, there are things that we can do, but can we really be the one to kind of make a difference for everyone sort of thing? So I wonder what about situations when we maybe don't have as much personal agency over things like there are elements of the pandemic at the moment where we can't change them we like we it doesn't make a difference whether we have confidence or not in doing something because for example we might not be involved at a level of government that has the authority to make changes in that way Well, actually, I think it's pretty relevant that you mentioned that issue of pessimism and it's difficult not
1: to be a bit pessimistic. I might qualify a little bit what I was saying about optimism earlier and refer to a qualification that Seligman made himself. When we face a risk of something really severe or something really harmful, then it could be worth being a little bit pessimistic, as in really appreciate the risk. So personally, I would have thought it's fair enough that we have a touch of pessimism about something like climate change, for example. Rather than thinking everything's going to fix up and we don't have to worry about it, it's worth thinking that things could go very wrong because that can motivate us to do something more constructive to address it. And I think when we look at a pandemic as well, we can see that can have some pretty heavy-duty negative consequences across the board, across so many countries, and so many people dying. So in some ways it's worth allowing for a degree of pessimism, meaning realistically acknowledging what can go wrong. So there's a place for allowing ourselves to have our doubts and concerns and worries. Like last week, we talked about productive and unproductive worry. Well, sometimes worry is productive if there is a real threat that we face in the near future and there's something that maybe we can do about it. So it's fair enough to have a tinge of certainly pessimism and certainly to have worries about what can happen because that actually can mobilise us to be more constructive in our response. But that's the key point. It's being constructive in our response. And so rather than getting caught up in the pessimism and just thinking it's up to governments or other people or larger systems to sort things out, we'll only do our best as a country or, well, in every country, if also individuals, if individual citizens, communities, families, if we're thinking, wait a minute, there are things that we can do. We can not be diligent in our hand washing, physical distancing, mask wearing. We bring it back to what we can do, those health-promoting behaviours, and then look to be persistent and quite diligent and consistent in applying them. We can make a difference at that
0: level. One thing that's interested me throughout this year is that, although I think kind of largely everyone really seems to be pulling in the same direction, that's something that I've been quite positively surprised about. But at the same time... There has been such a wide variety of responses. You know, you get everyone from giving Dan Andrews the blame for absolutely everything to, you know, Dan Andrews is accountable for absolutely no one below him sort of thing. And then you get the conspiracy theorists on top of that. So there's a whole range of responses to everything that's going on at the moment. But why do you think there is such that variation?
1: Yes, well, that's got me thinking lately about some parallels between how we explain slip-ups or relapses that an individual might have, say, in dealing with an addiction, and how we might account for progress or slip-ups in dealing with a pandemic at a community level. And there are actually a number of different models for explaining slip-ups or progress according to two different dimensions. One is, how much are we responsible for the problem itself? And how much are we accountable or responsible for some kind of solution or making progress? So there's two different things. Am I to blame for this problem I've got, like an addiction? And if I am and if I'm not, then how responsible am I? How much is it up to me to look for some kind of solution? And there's four different main explanations that people can have for that kind of situation. And one is called the moral model. And with the moral model, the person who has the slip-up, you hold them accountable Okay, that was your responsibility. You had the slip up. And it's up to you to do your best to recover from this lapse. So the responsibility is all on you kind of thing. And if we made a parallel for that with maybe the pandemic, then we might look at, for example, calling it the China virus. Yes, China's responsible for this pandemic having arisen. And then they should be doing something to fix it up kind of thing. Then we could look, say... An enlightenment model. An enlightenment model is that I might be responsible or we might be responsible for our lapse, but we look to a greater power than ourselves to help lift us out of it. So we might, for example, pray. And there are actually a number of indications, both in terms of individual health and in other areas, that if people have spiritual beliefs and believe in a higher power, that could be helpful. But by the same token, if it means that people are not doing what they can do to help themselves, that can have a real downside as well.
0: Well, I think we saw that recently in America with the evangelical Christians who basically sort of said, you know, God will save us and all that sort of thing. Like that seems to be an example of the Enlightenment model.
1: And then it can be a concerning paradox, can't it? Like people can meet in a large church congregation and then pass on. The virus to others. So we want to take maybe a little bit more personal responsibility than that. But then there's a medical model which is largely saying the person's not responsible for the problems that happen, nor are they so responsible for the solution because there'll be different kind of treatments you look at, like vaccines and all the rest of it. Although I think we should say that these days that medical models look a lot at, say, community prevention and information and things like that. But still, there's that notion of if we look to some kind of external medical fix, then that puts the emphasis on others' responsibility to some extent. But then there's a rehabilitation model, which is like a favoured psychological model. And the rehabilitation model tends to de-emphasise individual blame, for example, for having an addiction because there's so many complicated factors that can contribute to this. There are all sorts of different experiences people have in their upbringing, in their trauma histories, in their biology. So there's no point getting into blaming people for having a particular difficulty in the first place, but in a rehabilitation model, it is up to the individual to look at what they can do through health-promoting behaviours to recover or make progress and I think it's that rehabilitation model that overlaps more with an optimistic model say in positive psychology. We don't get into damning ourselves for having a problem but we do look at what we can do to make a difference.
0: Well it's interesting I think that potentially does account for some of the difference in responses as well because obviously as we said beforehand like you get the almost the moralists in terms of whether it's For example, with the security guards in Melbourne, it's almost like the moralists are kind of holding the government to such account that regardless of whatever they do going forward, it doesn't matter because they're the ones who kind of caused this situation. You can look at the medical model in terms of, well, there's not much that we can do until we get a vaccine, so we may as well sort of stay locked down until then. As we said, the Enlightenment model, for example, some of the evangelical Christians in America. There was a I heard of a, a pastor who was basically quite vocal in saying that because of him and his community were so religious they weren't gonna get coronavirus. Unfortunately I believe he passed away from coronavirus. But then That idea of the rehabilitation model, one thing that I kind of like about that is there seems to be an aspect of acceptance that maybe isn't there with the others in terms of we only deal with what we're dealing with now. It's like the lapse has already been made, the situation is in front of us, what can we actually do to positively contribute towards it going forward? I think there's a lot in that and I think the
1: idea of acceptance that you're emphasising is really important because... If people engage in recriminations of themselves or others, it's just like getting caught up in a kind of negative energy and it leads to an emphasis on the past. We're going to tend to do better if we focus on the present with a thought to the future, how we can make a difference.
0: Well, let's unpick that rehabilitation model a little bit more then. The relapse prevention model that we've been talking about That almost seems to me to be a part of that rehabilitation model in terms of what can we do going forward to prevent further lapses rather than just looking at the as a a horrific situation that's happened that we can't do anything about. Yes,
1: and I might mention as an aside, when we use the term relapse prevention model, that actually overlaps with what's also known as a harm minimisation model, such as, for example, safe injecting rooms. It's not expecting to completely eliminate every aspect of a problem, but have a relatively optimal approach that means that you can make great improvements without expecting things to be perfect, so to speak.
0: So what are some things that we can learn from that rehabilitation model that apply to our current situation at the moment?
1: Well, look, there are a number of steps that we apply, for example, in dealing with an addiction that I think can also apply at a community level of dealing with a pandemic. The first thing is seeking objective information. Like it helps if we monitor. If someone's looking to deal with an addiction, the first thing is if people are going to monitor, for example, their number of standard drinks, then you can see where you're at more objectively and maybe look at the pattern of when alcohol consumption increases or decreases, for example. So in terms of COVID, that would be... Close monitoring of the number of cases, deaths of course, but the number of cases and where they're coming from.
0: Also, I wonder about on an individual level with monitoring too, because it seemed to me from podcasts previously that we've spoken about this, that part of the aspect of monitoring is to build in an incentive for us, a personal incentive to, for example, be able to check off zero drinks for that day sort of thing. Is there anything, for example, on an individual mindset level that we can monitor that is going to help us in this situation? For example, is it to do with things like counting up the number of flat days? or? Well, I tend to think in
1: a practical way what we might do is think of a health-promoting behaviour and then maybe consider that without it being too onerous. So I would particularly think of physical exercise. We know that's like a one-size-fits-all way of improving our mental and physical health and well-being, especially if it helps us get outside in the meantime. So, for example, people might have not necessarily a fitness watch or something like that, which can be used for monitoring, but even maybe marking on a calendar or even keeping a mental note of that to some extent could be helpful. But I think that if we were to focus at anything on an individual level, I would think maybe something like physical exercise or maybe secondly sleep because anything that we do to promote good sleep could be helpful and what we monitor tends to change so yeah look I think that could be worthwhile but particularly where monitoring comes in is when people are looking to address a psychological difficulty such as they are looking to manage with an addiction or some kind of behaviour change and that's become a focus that does help people stay on track And then people might be also motivated to follow that through. It's not something we look to be onerous, something that we look to help shed light on a situation.
0: And yeah, as you alluded to a little bit there, I I imagine it can almost be a positive or a negative thing in terms of recognising that there can be some contributing factors to a low mood. For example, if you're monitoring some of those, I imagine that can help. But what else is there from the rehabilitation model? Well, it helps us identify
1: high-risk situations, So, for example, if it's an addiction, people will tend to notice that their, for example, alcohol consumption or gambling will tend to increase at times of high stress or interpersonal conflict. Sometimes it also might be opportunity such as driving home past the pokey machines or something like that. So when people identify the kind of circumstances that tend to be higher risk situations where we're more likely to lapse, and I suppose the equivalent for that with COVID is that we've identified or the authorities have identified the extent to which, say, nursing homes are a risk, meat works, certainly hotel quarantine, even certain hospital settings, but also long periods indoors, or family gatherings. Large family gatherings have proven to be a real high-risk situation. So that's shaped policy. So there's the principle again, individuals finding out where they tend to slip up, or with COVID, at a community level, finding out where the hot spots are.
0: So is it then just about identifying where those high-risk areas are and then managing them? Because look, I've heard stories, for example, of people up around the border area of sort of New South Wales who don't necessarily feel in such a high-risk situation, although measures are being putting in place for them. So is it about more than just identifying those areas? Well, in the first instance, I think we address the high-risk situations
1: because that's where the main threat is of things going backwards. And that's whether someone's dealing with an addiction or dealing with a community-wide problem. But I um, I think the thing with this too is it shows that it's important generally not to get complacent. And that means that even if people are making some progress with a psychological problem as well, it's still keeping up the expectations of looking to do the positive kind of things and also look to have confidence that what we do will make a difference. If we become complacent, like we think how I approach this won't make any difference, or if we become despondent, thinking... Oh, look, it's too big and too overwhelming. This problem, then we'll tend to go backwards. So it's partly having the strategies, especially for dealing with the high risk situations, but beyond that, having positive expectations that we can keep on making a difference and having the confidence that we can follow through
0: in ways that will make a difference. And I think it's that idea of not getting despondent where today's episode titled fighting the flat feeling comes into things because i think the more that we are feeling a little bit flat the harder it can be to put these strategies in place and that's where i think looking at for example a psychological model in this situation can really help us setting some of our, our more positive routines
1: yeah so if we think about it as being partly doing the right kind of things the health promoting behaviors and keeping up our expectations that things can change and confidence we can make a difference, then it comes back to the other general things we've talked about before, one of them being social support. People go a lot better dealing with any psychological problem if they have good social support. And that will be the same thing at a community level of dealing with, say, a pandemic or a challenge that way. And I think the theme there with social support is the more we can stick together. There was a lot of that emphasis at first that we're all in this together but there's a risk over a period of time that that can be harder to maintain. But I think that anything that reminds us that we're dealing with things as a community and looks to encourage others as a community or notes progress as a community, that will tend to help.
0: And it can be a bit of a catch-22 as well, I think, because that feeling of despondence can at times lead us to feel a little bit more withdrawn from things which then in turn leads us away from those social supports as well so that's why i think looking at some of these things today is important and beneficial because the more that we can be mindful of some of this stuff the less likely it is that we are just going to i suppose be resigned to feeling flat at times for longer periods
1: Yes, and I think that notion of not just lapsing into resignation when things are unfolding over a lengthy period of time, as it is when people are dealing with any, say, long-term or severe psychological problem, people have to stay at it for a long period of time. And that's where I think keeping a time perspective in mind can help. Basically, clients who fare better in the long run dealing with a problem have a way of keeping in mind that these times will pass. It might be a lengthy period of time that someone's looking to regroup from a lapse or a relapse or more stressful circumstances that are playing out over a period of time. But if we can somehow see a bit beyond that and envisage that there will be a point where we're beyond the most severe threats that can help some consideration of the future. So generally we go best if we allow ourselves to focus on the present and what we might do now to improve our circumstances, but having a bit of a look to the future as well and remembering that things aren't going to stay just the way they are now. It's inevitable that things will change. It's inevitable in many areas there'll be improvements as well.
0: Well, as always, we'll put all the resources for today's podcast up on the podcast page at chrismackey.com.au slash podcast. But thanks for chatting with me today, Dad. Enjoyed it as always. Yes, Rowan, and let's hope we see some more benefits
1: soon of all the efforts that the community's making.